Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. So one of you, you know, we've been handing out tickets in this um, series. We've been going out, as you've seen, to local restaurants. None of them have been dives, by the way. And then having a $50 gift certificate that we're giving away. So we hope you received a a little stub as you came in. And um, we are picking a winner. And so... The winner will be announced um, up on the screen, and whoever wins can come to the Connect table to get your gift card and make everybody else jealous. So the winning number is 355309. So take a look, see if you've got that ticket, and see if you have a gift card to 56 Kitchen in Solon. All right. I, I don't know if we have a winner or not, but... All right, we got a winner. Yay! All right. You know, I was, I feel like God is always talking whether or not we're listening. I'm Terry McHugh, part of the pastoral team. I serve as the executive uh, pastor here, which I always feel funny saying that title because it makes me sound way more important than I actually am. But, so, I have been using an iPad in case I need to look at my notes. And I came in this morning, and guess what? It had zero charge. And I'm like, isn't that the way? And then I thought, no, I have an extra, I have a little power brick that I can charge it with. And then I thought, how many times have I come into a day, into worship, into whatever setting I have, feeling 100% empty? And how often have I neglected to realize that I have a power pack right available to me? And so it's a reminder to me and maybe a reminder to you that God's presence, God's power is always available. We just have to plug in and avail ourselves of that. And, and I think that fits into the story as we'll talk about in a little bit. And so today, you know, in the series, we've been looking at the nine different meals that are portrayed in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus comes and, and eats with folks from tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees. Last week was the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, which we really know is way more than that because there were men and women and children. So tens of thousands in this miraculous feeding from what seemed to be a little, which turned into so much that there were 12 baskets left over. And so that incredible miracle strikes us. And we know that that was so central because that's a miracle that's in all four of the Gospels the feeding of the multitudes. And then we come today to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it's so ordinary. It's so mundane. It's a couple of people in a household. 
And it's a reminder that we have these huge monumental experiences with God, and sometimes they're in worship or in house of prayer. Sometimes we experience the miraculous in our life. We have high, holy moments. But that's not the norm. And frankly, if it was the norm, it would just about kill us, right? I mean, how many peak experiences can you have without falling off a cliff? And so God is reminding us that God is here in the present in what seems to be mundane, what seems to be kind of boring and uh, platitude. And we have this scene where there's one person really busy in the kitchen wants to have the absolutely perfect hosted meal. And another person who figures their work is done, they're not a perfectionist about that, and they're somewhere else. And so we've got one person where the heat, the only heat that's rising isn't just in the kitchen, it's the heat of her temper. And then she snaps. And then the other person snaps back, and can you picture this? Have you ever been preparing a family meal, and maybe you've had folks over, and you're like, get in here, I need some help right now. <laughs> can you relate? to this very ordinary scene, and yet God is in it. And if we only needed God for the miraculous, how often would we need God? We need God every day and in every moment of our lives. And so while the big moments can impact us greatly and, and be life-changing, and you know, we have Baptism Sunday coming up April 24th, after, the Sunday after Easter, and I pray that God might be stirring your hearts to enter the waters as a, a cleansing and a renewal after what everybody's been through in the last couple years. That's a high holy moment. But God is with us in everything. Nietzsche was famously said that what's required in heaven and on earth is a long obedience in the same direction. One step after another, one day after another, one meal after another, to be conscious of that. Brother Lawrence, a monk in the 1600s, um, he's famous. He wrote about practicing the presence of God. And he talked about how when he's in the kitchen, he's peeling potatoes or preparing food for the other monks, whether he's sweeping the floors or mopping the floors, outside weeding. No matter what he did, he tried to practice the presence of God. And I love that. I do think he kind of had it a little bit easier maybe than us because he was in a monastery and, you know, kind of away somewhere and it's a little different when the kids are fighting, the dog is throwing up on the carpet. But we can still practice the presence of God. We say, help me, Lord, what do I do? How do I deal with my kids? How do I keep from throwing up myself when I clean up the vomit? Practicing the presence of God. God here in the ordinary, not just the miraculous. The miraculous is important, but the ordinary is important too. And we forget that. And this story reminds us that Jesus wants to be with us in all of those things. In 1887, uh, a preacher wrote a book called um, What Would Jesus Do in His Steps? I didn't realize it was written that long ago because it wasn't until the 1990s that the WWJD What Would Jesus Do movement take off. And so you saw wristbands and t-shirts and hats and everything with that. And that was a time when I was just kind of inching my way back to faith and wondering what it really meant to follow Jesus. And I remember that as being such a big movement that books sold like 30 million copies. Pastor Chip talked about the WWJD. Now that's I don't know, lions and tigers and bears and diners, drive-ins and dives, it's easier to say than that, I think. <laughs> but um, Pastor Chip talked about it in a sermon, and someone in the congregation made a, a beautiful WWJD bracelet. And it's a reminder to have Jesus in our lives. And got to thinking, another thing that we could have called this series, 
as we're ha talking about Meals with Jesus, is E-W-J-D, eating with Jesus daily. That's what Jesus invites us to do. We don't just eat with Jesus on Communion Sunday or on Maundy Thursday. It's important to do that. But Jesus wants to share every meal with us and be with us in every moment of our lives, in the humdrum and the boring and seemingly inconsequential. But before we talk about Martha and Mary and what we can learn from them and who they were, I have a caution. It can be very easy to say that Mary's taking the better portion and we should all be like Mary. But if, if there was just Mary, she's going to be sitting at Jesus' feet all day and nothing is ever going to happen. And if we just rebuke Martha, the kitchen's never going to get cleaned. We need both. We need the contemplative activists and the active contemplatives. And what Jesus is saying to Martha is not that you shouldn't be doing things, but that you've forgotten about me in the midst of doing them, that I want to be with you in all those things. And so it's as if Mary is downstream in the quieter water where her sister Martha is being swept away by the current, by every distraction and eruption, and all the things that she has to do. But don't hear this as you have to be one or the other. We need to be both. Yeah. But Jesus is lovingly, as we'll see, pointing Mary, rebuking her, but bringing her to where we're all called to be. And so let's look at these two sisters and say, who is Martha? Martha is someone who Jesus loved. I never noticed this before, but in verse 38, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. He loves Martha and that family. He wants to go and be with them. And we see in the story of Lazarus told in John 11 when Lazarus, their brother, gets sick and Jesus is called for. And it says that they said to Jesus, the one who you love is ill. Jesus loves this family and he loves Martha. And part of how we know this is because he says, Martha, Martha. Now, I might think, you know, reading it is like, Martha, Martha. But that's not what Jesus is doing. In the Semitic languages in the Bible, when there's a doubling of a name, it means there's great, tremendous significance and meaning and love, and very often it comes with weeping. In the Old Testament, when David's son Absalom is killed, the one who had rebelled, the son who had rebelled against him, he doesn't say, Absalom, my son. He says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. It might be the most emotional, one of the most emotional moments in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus is looking over Jerusalem, he doesn't say Jerusalem, he says Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Can you imagine Jesus weeping as he looks at the city, as he looks at us, how often he desires to gather us. And then on the cross, he doesn't say, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The doubling of a name has great meaning. It means love and compassion and caring and weeping. And so when Jesus says to Martha, 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 it's with great love. And it needs to be that love because he's going to rebuke her. He's going to correct her. 
But first of all, Jesus loves Martha. Martha's also a leader. Again, going to John 11 when Jesus is coming, Martha goes out and gets him and she says, my brother's been dead for four days. There's a stench. She's in charge. She's the one who's always knows what to do and gets other people to do it. If you've taken our temperament study, I said this, you heard that. She is a red. Reds are, when they're unmanaged, they're kind of bossy. But they're people who are in charge. They're people who use the language of power and control. They direct people. They know what needs to be done. Sometimes they don't have very good filters. They can be very direct. And if you've taken ministry by strengths, and we're going to be offering that again, this uses the Gallup Strengths Finders. We'll offer it in late um, April. She probably has the command strength. This is a strength where whether or not you intend to be in charge, you're in charge. And so she's a, she's a leader. She's the practical one. She knows what to do. And you notice it says Jesus goes to Martha's house. This is very striking. Because in that day and age, the property would be owned by the male. And so the fact that it's Martha's house says that she's in charge of the finances. She's in charge of what's going on. Martha's a boss. Martha's a boss. And the third thing about her is she's extremely busy. It says she's distracted by all the things. She's doing a 12-course meal, and she's got something on the stove, and she's got something in the oven, and she's got something she's stirring. She's got something that she's chopping up. She has many, many things going on. She's extremely busy. And in the history of the church, here's one thing that's been done with the story, and maybe you've heard this too. They typify Mary as the contemplative, as the one called to religious service, as the one called to ministry. And then there's Martha, who's typified as secular and distracted. But she's doing all this for Jesus. And so it's not saying that you can't be busy in ministry. Again, Jesus is calling her back to attention to himself and to sitting at his feet. But it's, it's not to say that you can't be busy in ministry. Look at generally in the churches, about 20% of people that do 80% of the work to keep the church going. These are the people, the people like Martha, who are chairing committees and leading ministries and serving in ministry, being on staff. But the danger can be when we get so busy, we lose sight of what God is calling us to do. You know, Martha was, Mary was probably, had lots of things to do too. And Jesus certainly wasn't sitting around all the time. Especially when you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice that it says, immediately Jesus did this, immediately Jesus did that. And so it's important to remember that it's not that it's wrong to do things, but that when we get overly busy, it sometimes reveals something about ourselves. Yes, Martha's doing everything for Jesus and that meal needs to be made so they can sit at table fellowship. We know how important that is. But Martha also needs to remember that she needs to rest sometimes. And in this busyness, when Jesus rebukes her and doesn't do what she says, she gets mad. And that reveals that she thinks she's doing everything for Jesus, but you know what? 
she's doing stuff for her. It's her agenda. It's what she wants to do. It's what she thinks is important. And maybe you've fallen into that. Maybe not in the world of church, but maybe in your personal life, in your professional life, even in your hobbies. You think you're pouring it all out for someone else and it's really for you. And, and mea culpa here. I identify in terms of my behavior and my, how I approach things much more like Martha than like Mary. It's very hard for me to sit still. I have that achiever strength and ministry by strengths. It means I always, always got to be doing something. I'm checking stuff off the list. And what really convicts me is sometimes people come up to me and they say, Terry, I know you're really busy, but... And I'm really convicted because I'm exuding that sense of busyness because I'm running around all the time and I don't want to project that. I'm not too busy for people. And I don't want to be too busy for Jesus. And so Martha is very busy. She's a very busy person. And the third thing is she's, she's too concerned about what other people are saying. She's worrying about what Martha's, what Mary's doing or not doing instead of looking inside herself. And we see that in our culture. We see that in churches where we get much more concerned about other people's spiritual walk and what they should be doing, what they're doing wrong, what they're not doing right, what they should be doing, what they forgot to do, and criticizing them but we should be looking back at ourselves. And in our culture where we are looking at what those people say and what those people believe and condemning them and making them other, we need to be looking at ourselves and what are we projecting and what are we sharing and what's coming out of us. She's too concerned. So it can be easy to be a Martha who's someone who's a highly Christian person and really busy doing work for the Lord, but sometimes we can lose sight of the Lord in the midst of it. So what's the spirit of Martha? Just a, a few things that when maybe a Martha a achiever, with an achiever strength and with a command strength might be out of control. What are some of the, the things that she has? She has a lot of inner turmoil. And so you hear what it says that she is worried and upset. And the word worried means torn into pieces and going in many directions. And to be upset is to be like a capsized boat in the waves, at the mercy of the current and the waves, unable to power ourselves. And Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen one thing. You've chosen 30,000 that you think you have to do for your life to work. And so there's this inner disharmony with this tension of all the things that have to be accomplished. And it's important to work hard, but it's important to also not lose sight of God. And she also is irritable. She's snapping. She's like, Jesus, you got to tell her what to do. And the way she phrases that in the Hebrew, she's assuming that Jesus is going to, yeah, Martha, I agree with you 100%. Mary, get in here. That's not what happens. She can't believe that Jesus wouldn't see things exactly the same way that she does when she says, help you. So if you're always irritable, then you're probably struggling with some inner disharmony rather than something that's really about you. And as I said, she's too concerned about what other people think, are doing and not what she's doing. So what about Mary? What about Mary? Mary knows how to practice Sabbath. In Exodus 28, it says, 
remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I'm, and holy means to be other, dis different, distinct, apartness, self-apartness from everything that is common. This is the fourth commandment, and uh, Rich DeVolotis, a pastor in New York, an author, says that he thinks part of why it was so important for God to give this commandment to the Israelites is because for 400 years in Egypt, they had been slaves, and their entire identity was based on what they could do in their work. So Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. For the Israelites, I work, therefore I am. And God is giving a corrective here when he says to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that your life is not all about work and your identity is not wrapped up in what you do. Your identity is wrapped up in your being a child of God and made in God's image. And that's what your identity is. It's not your work. And yet, isn't this the commandment? And again, mea culpa, that we violate maybe the most often that we parade our busyness, we parade our success in work, whether that's with the work of the hobby, work in the vocation, work in what helps us to, to earn a living. And so, again, I'm not good at Sabbath, and I need to learn how to practice that. But Mary knew how to do that. And there was an innate need, I believe, for Sabbath, for that rest, for that set aside, that apartness. I heard about a cafe called Green Lab in South Korea, in Seoul. Now this is a place where people pay money to go to get a little spot at this cafe, looks out into a forest, to do nothing. They're not allowed to talk, they have to turn off their phones. And so people pay to go to a place and not do anything. That tells you what our need is. There was one woman they interviewed in their 30s who said, you know, I work all day, I get home, I gotta do the housework, I gotta make dinner, and then I'm on my phone. A lot of us spend a lot of time on our phone. And then it's time for bed. So she says, going to this cafe is the only time I can just do nothing and just relax. We need, we need have Sabbath. And Mary prioritized Sabbath in her life, and she wasn't going to stop it for anyone, even her very, very bossy sister. And she also knows how to sit at Jesus' feet. In that day and age, to sit at someone's feet had a great significance. In the book of Acts, in chapter 4, it talks about how the followers of Jesus sold all they had, and they put it to the apostles' feet as a way of saying that they let go of their authority and gave their resources to the wider community. And to sit at a rabbi's feet in that day and age to, it was to receive his teaching, and you had to be invited to do that. You couldn't just go sit at someone's feet. And it's very significant that Mary, as a female, sits at Jesus' feet, because that was not the norm. Women weren't considered worthy of being instructed, for the most part. And so for Mary to be sitting at Jesus' feet is very, very significant. And she's saying that she's submitting herself to the authority of Jesus. There's a saying I came across from an ancient uh, rabbi, and it said this, rabbinic saying, let your house be a meeting house for the sages and sit amid the dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. Now that image of sitting in the dust of their feet might seem kind of strange, like who wants to sit by dirty feet? But 
if the dust of the feet is an indication of the, the journey that the rabbi has been on, and you're following in those footsteps. And so there's, there's a book by Louis Tverberg that says, walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus, that if we're close enough to him, as he walks, the dust will be kicked up and enter on us. It's a sign of working closely with our Lord. And then she knows how to feast on the word of God. She's spending focused time to sit and listen to the word of God from the word made flesh. As Jesus is, is speaking and teaching and sharing the word, she is receiving it. She is listening. She is soaking it up. We often treat scripture like fast food, right? Like, okay, I got five minutes. I'm going to read that verse of the day. Uh, I'm going to get it on the Bible app and whew, done. It's like fast food. But that's not what God invites us to do. God invites us to enter in and to allow it to shape us, to be formed by it. And I love Eugene Peterson, the one who paraphrased the, the Bible into the message. And he wrote a book called Eat This Book. And the, the imagery that goes throughout it is from Revelation 10, when John uh, has an angel come and preach to him. And the angel hands him a scroll and he says, essentially, eat this book. And so Peterson says, as only he can, that John put aside his pen and paper and he picked up his knife and fork and he ate the book. And that's a way of saying that we take God's word in, we meditate on it, we let it di be digested and to form us and to be part of it. And Mary knew how to do that. And she knew what it meant to come and feast on God's word. And as we've been in the series and talking about meals with Jesus where physical food was taken, physical food is important. Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. We have a vital food pantry ministry. We serve a meal to the homeless once a month. We want to help no one go hungry and have scarcity of food. And Jesus, there's something that happens when we're at table together. But Jesus also wants us to experience spiritual food. Jesus says in, in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's what Jesus offers to us. And so I think, you know, in this story, we never actually see Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus and whoever else was there sitting at the table. But I got to thinking about that. And Mary and Jesus were full before they even went to that table. Wow. Because they had experienced the word and let it come in. They were filled with the word and filled to the brim before they ever sat down to eat the physical food. Yes. And it's important to allow ourselves to be filled by that and to feast on God's word and to let it fill us. And I bet, you know, by the time all the preparations were done and after the rebuke and after the affirmation, and we need both, what joy there must have been at that table. What a wonderful conversations because Jesus and Mary had come there full already. And so it boils down, it bubbles over. And so that joy becomes contagious when we allow ourselves to be filled and to feast on the word of God. And when you're full like that, you're a much better sister or brother or spouse or friend. 
You're a much better member of the community when you have come to the table with that fullness. And I'm sure everyone appreciated that meal. But Mary came to Jesus' feet first and sat and feasted on the word of God and was full. And that's something that no one could take once she's filled with that. And Jesus says, come and devour my teaching and you will be filled beyond measure. Mary knew what it was like to eat with Jesus every day. Mary knew what it was like to set aside all the things that may have consumed her to simply sit at Jesus' feet, to let go of her own agenda, and to experience that life. That The second worship song we sang that comes to Jesus and says, I don't need anything from you. I simply want to be here. That's the spirit of Mary. May it be so for us. Amen.